everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Please be seated. <coughs> Thank you, Nat, for reading our scripture this morning, and thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in those beautiful songs and, and uh, for the prayers that have been offered in and for our behalf. We're always very grateful, and I'm very thankful for this fine assembly that we have this morning, such a fine audience. It's always very attentive and very concerned about worship and the study of the Word of God, and I commend you for that, for your desire to be here with us worshiping God as the Bible teaches and for your desire to learn more about God's Word. And if you're visiting with us today, we're happy to have you and I encourage you to come back. Be with us tonight at 6 and I hope that you'll linger long enough for us to become better acquainted and we want to be your friend. And we want you to know that we have your best interest in our hearts and we are prepared to help you spiritually in every way that we possibly can. So thank you for coming and being with us. As you notice in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew presents Jesus from the standpoint of the king has come and his kingdom is coming. And that kingdom did come, didn't it? The first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we read about it in Acts chapter 2. And Matthew's presenting us that standpoint, that view of Jesus the king has come. And in this passage, this Sermon on the Mount, as it's come to be called, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, really might be looked upon as the constitution of that kingdom. This is the way that the Christian is to live. I like to look at it from the standpoint of life in the kingdom. And Jesus is giving us a very high responsibility and standard to live by. We have a lot to live up to with regard to living life for God and living life for one another and living life with our neighbor. And we have a lot we have to do. And sometimes we might even think, well, it's just above me and beyond me. I, I just really can't live up to all of God's expectation for my life. Notice what I mean in Matthew chapter 7. You'll have some reference there to judging one another, verses 1 through 6. And he's talking about the very high standard that we should have with regard to one another. And we should not be over-anxious toward one another, uh, judging each other falsely and cruelly. And we've talked about that great passage of Scripture. He says, if you need help, remember uh, that we have verse 7. In verse 7, ask, seek, and knock. And it's a very encouraging Bible passage that we have, Matthew chapter 7, and in uh, verse 7. And then he tells us about a choice that we're supposed to make, Matthew chapter 7. It's in verse 13 and verse 14. And the choice 
which we have to make is that there's a narrow way, and that narrow way leads to life. But the narrow way is a disciplined way. It is a way that leads to life eternal. Sometimes one's going to find hardship along that way. Perhaps even persecution comes with the narrow way. You choose the narrow way, it could be loneliness a part of your life in turn because others avoiding you and you don't have the friends and the companionship that you once had because you made that choice the narrow way that leads to life. But he said there is another choice and that's the broad way that leads to death. The broad way is a much easier way. It leads to eternal separation from God. And you'll have all the friends that you want on the broad way. Because so many will choose the broad way. It's an undisciplined way, a reckless way. It's a way that many will choose rather than the narrow way. By the time we get to verse 15, he warns us about false prophets. And false prophets are certainly nothing new with regard to the people of God. In the Old Testament, they had false prophets, and the false prophets always did one thing, basically. They minimized the narrow way. If you choose the narrow way, there will be false prophets that come in among you, and they will try to encourage you to take the easy way. The false prophet always wants to minimize the Word of God and the message of God and make it much more user-friendly and much easier to accept. The false prophet always offers an alternative to the will of God and the Word of God. Jesus says, beware of them. Beware of the false prophet. Beware of the person who tries to give you the easy alternative rather than the way that leads to life everlasting. And then Jesus gets down to the bottom line. And it's that bottom line I want to talk about in verse 21. Thank you, Nat, for reading our scripture today. Jesus said, now in case you missed the point, let me tell you about the bottom line. You know what the bottom line is. It's sort of a catchphrase that we have today. I I suppose it came as an accounting term. The bottom line is the line where you actually see the end result. You know, this is what we're really interested in as far as income in, income out on a spreadsheet type of situation. We're looking at the bottom line here, and Jesus says, in case you miss it, let me give you the bottom line. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, that's the bottom line. And we can talk about the wonderful attitude and relationship that we should have with brothers and sisters and wonderful relationship we should have with God. But he's talking about life in the kingdom, and the bottom line is in verse 21. And somebody says, Now, Jim, I was following you real well, until you got to that point. I was going along with this, all right. I was going along with this, don't judge. And I was going along with this, ask, seek, and knock, all right. That was fine. 
And this matter about false prophets, I was following you okay on that too. But now you got off into this O word. And you laid the O word on us. And you know what the O word is. Obey. And we don't like to obey. Jim, you've got to understand that you're from another generation. And you're looking at this through an older set of glasses. You need new glasses. And it's not a matter of obedience, and it's not a matter of obeying. It's more of a relationship with God. It's more of love. It's all about love of God. It's all about faith. It's all about having this new, wonderful relationship that is loving and filled with faith. And that's what the matter is about with regard to the kingdom of God. And I just don't like this word, obey. Jesus got to the bottom line, didn't he? And he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus has warned us about the false prophets. The false prophets will come in and they will try to change this message of transformation, this message of change and repentance, a message of commitment, and a message of surrender, a message of obedience. And they will try to change it into a more acceptable, user-friendly kind of message. But life in the kingdom, Jesus says, the bottom line, you've got to obey. You've got to do what Jesus said do. I've got to surrender to the Lord of my life, Jesus Christ. And if I don't surrender to Him and obey Him and follow what He says, I really don't have this relationship that people want to talk about, this love that so many seem to say that they have for Christ, and this faith that the Bible says so much about. The fact of the matter is, obedience is behind that relationship. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning at about verse 46, there the Bible is talking about um, this important matter. And he speaks of it from the standpoint of a family situation. In Matthew 12 and 46, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now this Bible passage started for us in Matthew chapter 12. began in verse 46, a verse you can read from the pages of your own Bible. You ought to mark it down. Jesus is talking about relationship. And he's not meaning to be disrespectful when he says, Well, now who's my mother and who are my brothers? He's not being disrespectful. He's laying the foundation for the point that he's going to make. 
He says, now, who is my mother and who is my brother? Who is in this relationship with me? And he says, I'll tell you who's in this relationship with me. It's the one that does my will. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, obedience is the basis of the relationship. If we're going to have a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ, it's going to be based on the will of Christ, the Word of God. And We can talk about how wonderful it is to have a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ, but until we do the will of God, we'll never have that relationship. We'll never have a relationship with God Almighty. Ah, but my relationship to Christ is based on love, you see. And I encourage you to turn to John chapter 14 as the Bible passage is indicated before you. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that great verse of the Bible. Isn't John 14 just a great passage? In fact, that whole section... John 14, 15, and 16 is just a wonderful section of the Bible whereby Jesus is trying to comfort the heart of the apostles. And he's speaking specifically to the apostles. They've learned that Jesus is going to die. And they really don't understand the plan of God and the will of God in the matter and how God's going to work all this particular matter out, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost and he's going to die and be raised from the dead by the power of God and ascend back to heaven and establishment of the kingdom based on the blood shed on the cross. And they don't understand all of that yet. And they're very concerned about the death of Jesus. And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, verse 1. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. That I go to prepare a place for you, verse 2. John 14 is such a comfort, isn't it? Not only does it comfort the, did it comfort the apostles then, it comforts our hearts today. And the beauty of it and the tenderness of it is always touching every time we read it. If you notice in chapter 14, three questions are asked by three different apostles. And, other, and, and much of the chapter revolves around the questions that these apostles ask. For example, in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus goes on and gives us that beautiful passage. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Verse 6, you ought to mark that in your Bible. It's a beautiful verse, John 14 and 6. Another question was asked by an apostle. It's in verse 8, Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And a big discussion begins to go about Jesus and the Father and the wonderful relationship that exists there. Jesus is Jesus and the Father are one in purpose and one in unity. And he asks this question and Jesus answers it in verse 9. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And he's really saying there, I'm the image of God here on earth. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but 
The Father who dwells in me does his work. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And I wish we had time to really digest this great passage of Scripture, but it's leading us into this great verse, verse 15. Involved in his answer to Philip, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love manifests itself in obedience. One can talk about the great love that they have for God. One can talk about, oh, how I love Jesus. And they can sing that beautiful hymn that we have in our songbooks. And we really can go away believing, I love Jesus. But if you do not do what Jesus has told us to do, don't talk to me about loving Jesus. Obedience is the basis of our love there. Some talk about relationships. Some talk about love. Obedience is behind that love. It is because of my wonderful love for Christ. What he's done for my life. That I obey him. Some love to talk about faith. And what great faith they have in Christ. And they say it's all about faith. It's all about faith that I have in Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Romans, as I've indicated before you. The book of Romans is a book about salvation. It's a powerful book of God. And it really spells out for us the matter of the sanctified life and justification. We have so much understanding about justification now. Because we have the book of Romans. And he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 5. The, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. To bring about the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among all the nations. You see faith. Paul says means. That I obey. You can't have biblical faith without obedience to Christ because faith is all about obeying and doing the will of God he brings this point up again in chapter 16 and that's why I put that up there the chapter 16 26 verse ought to be remembered but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. That 26 is saying the same thing that he said in chapter 1 verse 5. And a book about salvation. A book that begins in chapter 1 verse 5 about an obedient faith ends in chapter 16, 26, talking about an obedient faith. And when one really is talking about faith in God and faith in Christ, the only kind of faith that this Bible's talking about is an obedient faith. And you can talk about faith in Christ and faith in God. But unless you obey God and obey Christ, you really don't have a biblical kind of faith. 
You see, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 is the bottom line. That's the bottom line. This is not a works system like the Old Testament law was. It is a grace system. Genuine faith-based salvation. That's what we're to have. A genuine faith that obeys. It's a genuine love-based salvation. Love always obeys, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a genuine relationship-based salvation because true relationship is always based on doing the will of God and being obedient to His divine commands. Jesus has said in the closing moments of the Sermon on the Mount, Now, in case you missed it about the broad way and the narrow way, let me make something perfectly clear to you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, Matthew 7 and 21. Do the will? What will are we talking about? Notice in this particular instance, he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 23. Jesus warns us about counterfeits. In fact, he's telling us there are two big counterfeits you need to watch out for. Two cheap counterfeits. You know what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is an imitation of the real thing. Whether it be a counterfeit dollar or, you know, a counterfeit um, bill of some sort. Counterfeits are a made-up imitation. They're not real. But they try to resemble something of value. But it's a counterfeit. It's worthless. It's of no value. Jesus is telling us we got two counterfeits here we need to talk about. And you and I have heard these counterfeits over and over again. The first counterfeit is, Lord, Lord. Jesus said in our bottom line verse, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This particular counterfeit individual is very sincere. He claims to have genuine sincerity and profession. But just because a person claims to love the Lord does not mean that they are sincere. They will say, Lord, Lord, I'm very sincere. I really love you, but simply because they say that doesn't make it real and genuine. Often, it might be viewed as a counterfeit. And Jesus is saying, you've got to watch out for the counterfeit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You think a person go up and say, Lord, Lord. And the word Lord means sir, uh, master. Uh, I'm your servant. You're the master. But not everyone who says that's genuine and sincere. And there are a lot of people, though they'll use that kind of language, and they use a lot of religious talk, about them. It comes out pretty clear. They're not really sincere. 
And if a person were to sincerely confess that Jesus is Lord and did not do God's will in the process, his confession is worthless. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. If we just simply confess, and we're very sincere in the confession, but if that confession is not backed up with the Word of God, doing the will of God, well, what good is that? Sometimes we say, you know, talk is cheap. And we, sometimes we say, you know, he's talked, talks, talks, but does he really do? It's one thing to talk the talk, and it's another thing to walk the walk. And we say it in all the different ways that we're familiar with. But the point that Jesus is saying is simply because somebody says they're sincere and says they have the right heart for God, but they really don't do the will of God. It's not based on obedient faith. That sincerity is of no value whatsoever. James chapter 2 is an important point that makes that matter. But I said there are two counterfeits. And that second counterfeit comes up in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I'm in Matthew 7. I'm in verse 22. And I'm trying to analyze what Jesus is saying in the closing moments of the Sermon on the Mount, the constitution of the kingdom, life in the kingdom of God. And some people will say, look at all the zealous things that I did. And I was very, I was very zealous. I had a lot of zeal, and, and I had a lot of drive. And I did this good thing, and I did that good thing. And there were so many good works that I was able to do. And, and after all, don't they do a lot of good things? Don't they do a lot of good works? And Jesus will say on that day, well, I never knew you. It wasn't out of obedient faith. You see, works can't save me. I can be just as good a guy as I can possibly be and do all kinds of great things for the community and all kinds of great things for the family and this, that, and the other. And if that's all I've got, if I just have good works that I've done and good things that I've done, that's not going to save me. There's not one good work of merit that I can do that'll take care of one sin. It's all based on the grace of God. I can't earn my salvation. I can do a lot of good things out there in the community, and everybody can see what a good guy I am and the good things that I've been doing. But if that's all it is, just a lot of good works... That's not going to save me from sin. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good things. That's not going to save them. Because we can't earn our salvation. No one can go up to God on the day of judgment and say, Okay, I did this, this, and this, and you owe it to me. I'm here to get what I've earned. You can't say that. Even after we've done all that we can do, our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. We can't earn it. Now, the Bible makes very clear there are certain things that I must do in order to receive it, but that's not to receive grace, but that's not a works system. That is a faith system. You've got to be careful about these counterfeits when you start talking about the bottom line here because there are counterfeits out there, imitations of the real thing. Okay. All right, Jim. 
I kind of follow along what you're saying here. I can kind of see how uh, you're going with this, and I can kind of see what Jesus is saying, but i got a big question here I want to ask you. Just what are we supposed to obey? Okay? Obey what? Uh, maybe I'm supposed to obey the ethical teaching of God. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to obey the doctrinal teaching of God. What is it that I'm supposed to obey? Now, I can see your point about obedience and how important that is. What about the moral teaching of God? Yes, to all the above. Let's turn to First Timothy, and, and um, I hope this will become clear at this particular point. In First Timothy chapter 4, Really, verse 3 is what I have in mind, but I'll also include 11 and 12. Uh, He's talking about the problems that they are uh, facing at that time, and there'll be these counterfeits that come up. He says, verse 3, but notice in verse 11, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but see the believers... An example, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhort, exhortation, to teaching. This is what I'm commanded to obey. Command and teach, he said, verse 11, these things. Well, the way I talk. And the way I behave, the kind of love I'm to have one for another, the kind of faith I'm supposed to have, the purity of life. Turn with me to another passage that I think is closely related to this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 is another great passage. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What he's talking about in these passages is These are things that are commanded. I must do them. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does. Well, what commands am I supposed to obey? The moral teaching of God? Absolutely. God has set before me a moral standard that I'm to live by. If I fail to obey that moral standard which God has given through the pages of the Bible... I'm going to miss the kingdom of God. Well, what about the doctrinal teaching? Are there doctrinal teachings I've got to obey? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 now, there's a discussion about the orderliness of worship. And uh, Paul is dealing with the problem that the church at Corinth faced. And he's talking about who can stand up before the congregation and speak. And basically, he's saying that Women do not have the authority to stand up in the public assembly and to speak and, and to teach in a public way. And so he says the women should keep silent in the churches, verse 34. And he goes through that discussion. They were having problems with the disorderliness of their worship. And he brings it on down to about verse 30, 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? I'm in 1 Corinthians 14. Or are you the only ones it is reached? It's being a little bit ironic here. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. 
These things I'm writing are commands. And then a warning in 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. That's a warning. If you don't recognize the commands of the Lord, which I've been teaching you with regard to the orderliness of worship and all that the Lord has taught us in the pages of the New Testament, you'll not be recognized. The question is asked, what am I supposed to obey? Do I obey the moral teaching of Christ? Yeah. Do I obey His doctrinal law? Yeah. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will end the kingdom of God. But he that obeys and does the will of God. And there's warning there. I love the last part of Matthew chapter 7. I, this is one of the earliest parts of the Bible I ever remember studying. And it is an analogy about uh, that day and time, about the rain and the house falling. And I suppose everyone that's been in Bible class from their youth up has sung that song, A Wise Man Built His House on the Rock. Well, this comes from the analogy that Jesus gave. You see, what happens is some people would come along and in and build a house on a wadi, in a wadi. A wadi in Palestine is simply another word for, you know, a creek that uh, runs in the rainy season. California, they call them a wash. I was there a year before I knew what they were talking about. But a wadi in Palestine is just a creek. When it's in the rainy season, all the water comes down the creek. Now, if you're going to build your house in a place like that, there's going to come a time when in the rainy season, all that rain's coming down that creek, and it's going to wash out anything in its path. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The rains will come, you see, and the floods will come up. The rains come down and the floods come up. And the analogy of the matter is the problems, the difficulties of life going to come down. But if your life is built on the rock of the teaching of Christ and you're doing that and you're living that, and it's a part of your life, then you're going to be able to withstand it. Now, it's still going to be a difficult time. The rains and the wind is going to be hard times in life, but you'll be able to endure it with patience and steadfastness because your life is based on what it ought to be based on the Word of God. But now, if you're going to be foolish about it, the foolish man builds his house on his own selfish interests and desires. The foolish man builds his house on what he thinks is right on the way he thinks he ought to live. And when those rains come and the floods come, it's going to destroy that house. It's like building a house in the middle of a creek in the summertime. And when the rainy season comes, all those mountain rains are going to funnel right down that creek and it's going to come like a torrent and tear that house apart and you're not going to be able to stand it. 
Now, which would you rather do? Build your house on the sand or build your house on the rock? Let's get down to the bottom line. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you what that's going to mean. It's going to mean repenting of your sin and making a clean break with sin. It's going to mean confessing sincerely your faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's going to mean being baptized into Christ, full of the remission of sins, immersed in water, Galatians chapter 3, 26 and verse 27. It's going to mean recognizing and respecting the moral, ethical laws of Christ and living by them and following them day by day. That person is living life in the kingdom of God and will receive eternal life in the life to come. And all of that is based on obedience to Christ. And that produces a wonderful relationship. Great love is expressed by it. A manifestation of faith in Christ. Won't that be your life today? Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.